Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, the original. This is Bullhagen. This is Brick. This is Vicker. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. We have uh, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. A, a casual con- conversation. A confessional conversation. Amongst pastors. If it's not already obvious, uh, we're recording this podcast directly after the last one, and these guys cannot stop giggling about the fact that if you type in offthecollarpodcast.com, you don't get <laughs> offthecollarpodcast.com. <laughs> we're so childish. Anyways... <laughs> What do we got going today? Well, uh, we're still ha- having the same beverages we had last time because we're doing a twofer today because I'm going of, of, on vacation. Um, so I am uh, going to drink a Jack Daniels Lynchburg Lemonade, which was a tithe by one of our faithful listeners. So thank you very much. Thank you, listener. You know, you're gonna still make, working on his. You're going to make yeah. uh, Hannah upset that here we have faithful listeners getting us beverages. And she had to buy herself cookies. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, listener, here's what we're going to do, okay? We know you appreciate Hannah, okay? Help us send Hannah some cookies. <laughs> Help. What does that even mean? I don't know. How's your uh, your uh, Lynchburg lemonade? <laughs> this is going to be a great show. It is tasty. So, uh, so Hannah, well, right now, of Hannah, oh, we, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no I was go gonna, ahead. I was gonna segue in, but you're. You She's got an email. Punch. We need to, to. Yeah, speaking of Hannah, we have an email from her. Do you guys want to read it? Uh, I will read it. Dear clerics and Peter, I've enjoyed the variety of the last few episodes. Perhaps my favorite moment was listening to Bert watch a video. That could be a segment all its own. One I would look forward to only slightly more than Bullhagen's book club. Hannah, you have <laughs> Hannah, you have no idea the amount of dead space and silence I took out of Bert watching a video. I don't know why they decided in the middle of a podcast to sit back and watch a YouTube video, but they did that and I had to make something of it. So what you guys got was everything that they said while they were watching the video cut down significantly. <laughs> Why are you guys decided to watch a YouTube video on an audio podcast? I have That's no what clue. happens when we record a show without the producer. <laughs> on to new business. Favorites. I have no favorites. If one of you ever sent me anything, then obviously that person would be my favorite. But since none of you have, you're all equally you all equally incur my appreciation and irritation. Well <laughs> deserved. Fair. Well deserved. All right. On to old business, leisure. I read another book, Near Motherhood, by Cindy Rollins. It is a memoir of a Christian homeschooling mom. Near the end, she contradicts Berg's claim in the May 9th episode that pastors are the last of the leisure class. This is a quote. Uh, Joseph Pieper tells us that leisure is the basis of culture. Most moms would laugh at the idea of leisure, but that is essentially the gift of homeschooling gave us. The leisure to learn. Homeschooling moms are what remains of the leisure classes in these hurried, frantic days. 
We are the Irish monks of our time, carefully preserving on preserving old library books and even reading them. I think that was a shot at me. Um, while we were busy thinking of our small families, we might have been preserving something much larger. And end quote. Okay. Agree, disagree. Students are part of a leisure class too, aren't they? Since they are called to read, contemplate, and think. Hope you had a good vacation, Berg, and I hope you have yours in the works, Bullhagen. You know I do. <laughs> so, your sister in Christ, uh, Hannah. By the way, our Bible study is uh, in church is studying Ecclesiastes. Of course, I bought, brought Dr. Bullhagen's commentary with me this Sunday, but don't didn't have the uh, nerve to showboat it. In PPS, our associate producer, associate associate producer David does not make digital music, so no cover of "My God Is an Awesome God" until I can recruit another associate associate producer. So wouldn't that be an associate 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 producer? Well, I don't know. No, because that would be David's associate producer, and it's not David. So the associate, so the associate to the associate associate producer. Yeah, it's fine to have two associate associate producers. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So you've been challenged. Dun, dun, Because you said the clergy was the last of the leisure class. Yeah. So, all right. So here is what I thought up yesterday. Um, so I'm actually going to make a distinction between class versus calling. A class is a membership in a social class, and it can mean, for example, it can be dependent on education, wealth, occupation, income, and belonging to a particular subculture or social network. When we usually think of social classes, I mean, obviously one of the ones that comes to my mind is Downton Abbey with uh, manorialism, right, where you have a lord of the manor and uh, all of the different uh, classes under him. Now, for a pastor, the calling to be a pastor, which comes from God, and the class, that is the sort of social class that he's in are identical. What do I mean by that? That pastors may not be in the upper class because we obviously don't make a lot of money, so our social class isn't dependent on wealth. But our education has traditionally set us above, uh, and also the respect uh, of the people Mm -hmm. has actually set us aside into our own sort of social class. I mean, uh, Wilhelm Lea talks a lot about this in uh, his book, The Pastor, his pastoral... um, his pastoral theology book. Now, for a mother, however, uh, the calling and the class are actually distinct because a mother can be in the lower class, she can be in the middle class, or she can be in the upper class. So uh, that is where I would say that uh, motherhood, uh, we shouldn't fall into the the fallacy of equivocation, that uh, motherhood is a calling, and that in and of itself is a leisure class because what mothers are to do is to train their children. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and to learn. However, that is not the same thing. It's not identical with the sort of class that you're born into, or which you might actually achieve through things like education or wealth or the like. But I would appreciate, though, what it, how it understands education. Yes, I, I think there's a lot to commend this book, because uh, um, I think this is really uh, what most mothers should be doing, with very few exceptions. Uh, I think one thing that we pastors lament is that so much is not being taught in the home, um, and this is very detrimental to our children, and I think we've seen that all the way through, not only religiously with the catechism, but also um, 
just even eating meals together. Um, the amount of time that a lot of American children and parents actually spend together is very, very little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's been very, very detrimental to our children, to their mental, their spiritual, <clears throat> their educational health. Uh, and so they get carted off to babysitters. They get carted off to school. Um, and what I what I noticed about, and you can tell me if I'm if you think I'm wrong, about the understanding of how one learns, it seems like education has is now more about indoctrination rather than education, meaning that kids aren't necessarily being taught to think for themselves. It's buy into the narrative of whatever we're teaching you. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I'm of the opinion that all education is indoctrination. It just depends on what you're indoctrinating okay, yeah. with. You know, what kind of doctrine are you giving them? Are you giving them good stuff or are you giving them not such good stuff? Mm-hmm. Because I, unlike many, I, I don't believe that man is by nature a tabula rasa. We're not a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, education would fix all of our problems. Mm-hmm. But um, my, my point, point behind that is, is you can run into danger if you actually are a student who thinks for himself and tries to work out these issues and have a public discourse about certain things. Yeah, I mean, the question is, is what does it mean to think and what does it mean to be free? I think G.K. Chesterton said it the best when, you know, he's talking about an open mind as being an open mouth, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what people will accuse Christians of being, parochial, closed-minded, all this kind of stuff. And uh, an open mind is like an open mouth. And an open mouth is good when you're about to put some food in there, right? Mm-hmm. If your mouth stays open the whole time, that's probably not a good thing, right? right? Because then just about anything can get in there. And so I do think it is, uh, well, I, and this is part of my ambivalence with this sort of resurgence of classical education among many, many Lutheran pastors um, and this real huge push towards uh, really humanistic education because um, it does make man the measure of all things, and it is dangerous. I mean, you look at how few humanists actually stayed with the Reformation, and Luther's bitterest opponent is Erasmus of Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that what is the goal of education? I think that's that's the first question we have to answer is, what is the goal of education? Is it to make someone who is free? Okay, well, what does that freedom actually look like? Is it the, um, the freedom from restraint? Because then we should train all of our children to be, you know, really good criminals who'd never get caught. Well, I, right? I, I would say this is by, by teaching, you know, to think for themselves, but also then, and this is where I think we, we can lack, is not only think for themselves, but come to the same conclusions that are good and right. So give them not only the freedom to think of themselves, but also, you know, you know. For example, as a, a lot of times as a pastor, um, when I want to make a change within the congregation of practice or something like that, the, what always works best for me is to lead them to make that decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. Where where they say, you know, we think this is a good thing because if I try and do too much of this is what we're going to do, it, it doesn't really 
affect how they think but if, and how they appreciate whatever change is going on. And I think when you, you're talking about education, one is, because this is what I've, I've seen in the last 20-some years as a pastor, is when you ask kids, well, how did you process? What do you think about that sermon? They, they've lost that ability. Almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it even goes back farther than that. Um, Korchak talks in his book, Lutheran Education, and I think this has been actually a flaw in Lutheran education since the days of our early fathers, is that we've only taught them, you know, to get back to classical education, the grammar stage. And this is how, unfortunately, most confirmation classes have been taught, right? Mm-hmm. They've been taught uh, where we just simply memorize the catechism. Well, before they come to us, they should have already memorized the catechism. Like mm-hmm. honestly, we should have never allow we should never allow anyone into confirmation class without having already first memorized the catechism. Right. Really. I mean, because otherwise we are spending all of our time teaching them the grammar stage, which they should have already known, rather than teaching them um how to process this, how right. to think about this, how to engage this. Mm-hmm. And so I I honestly I think, you know, this has been a, a big problem in at least in the Missouri Senate for a long time, in that, yeah, we say— So, okay. so down the line, then, mm-hmm. what would be some effects of this? Let's say said person didn't get past the grammar stage, and they're growing in theology, and then, boom, they're 40 years old. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I mean, and you've seen this in your parish, and I've seen it in mine, right? So people get done with confirmation class, right? They've been taught baptism saves, Okay. They go out and they talk to a Baptist. They go out and they talk to a Baptist who says, well, you know, here it says to choose. Here it says to do this. Here it says to do that. Why weren't you immersed? Isn't that what that means? And because they only learned the grammar, meaning meaning that meaning uh, the, the basic facts, they've never learned. It's like learning the ABCs without learning how to put it together to make words. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, is that they have no defense— of how to argue with these other people, these people who believe differently than them. And so then they think, oh, well, so they can either go one of two ways. They can either say, well, you're wrong and not say anything else, Mm -hmm. or they will be very shaken and maybe even leave the church, which is what people, a lot of people actually do. Um, And so rather than actually engaging these things, and arguing with them, they uh, and I've even been approached by some of my own members who said, yeah, we want a logic class. Like, we want to know how to think through these things because our Lord Jesus actually used logic, mm-hmm. right? When he's talking about, uh, you know, the, the flowers and the sparrows, right? He's actually making yeah, an argument using... from, from, the, from the lesser to the greater, right? The Sadducees use an, uh, an argument ad absurdum. Okay, so this is the thing. The Bible is full of logic. It is, mm-hmm. right? But it's always logic that is captive is captive to the gospel. And so I, I do think that, uh, and I mean, I know we talk about confirmation a lot and, you know, what an albatross it is, but it is because the way we're doing it now has proven itself not to work. Why do we have such a low retention rate? I mean, part of it is, is you know, it goes back to what we said last time that— uh, um, you know, people make excuses or whatever, right? And that's mm-hmm. true. You're always going to have people who leave because they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. 
But I do think we have done our people a great injustice by not teaching them where the grammar stage is and what confirmation should or, actually or be. Or in years past, it, the uh, they've tried. There's been attempts to get beyond the grammar stage, but it it's kind of like if um, you will you did you go to Lutheran high school? Yes. Yeah, I've Lutheran school my whole life. Okay, so so you get through confirmation, you get through that. And then you go to freshman religion class, and it's like something like fitting in. <laughs> or was your school different? No, I I was blessed to have a very good Lutheran elementary and high school education and confirmation class. Like freshman year, we went through the Old Testament. Sophomore year, we started in Matthew, mm. to the point where the Gospel of Matthew class at seminary I almost took no notes because I'd been there already. Well, that's good. So it a lot of this. But I, I guess my I was in the the went to high school in the 80s, and it was all, uh, a lot of it, not all, was more, okay, we've gotten through the confirmation part, and it's all this kind of holding mm-hmm. hands, yeah, the fee- touchy-feely stuff yeah. that didn't get beyond into applying it as much as... Yeah, the American education experience has been severely hampered by not knowing how to teach. And, and, and so those people levels. think mm-hmm. the, the, to go beyond the, the what you call the grammar stage is emotionalism and rather than logic. Right. Emotional. I mean, that's what they go to because they don't know logic. I mean, most arguments that you hear aren't really arguments because they've never been taught to think logically. They've never been taught to think uh, through a problem. And so um, this is where I think uh, pastors might actually benefit from being taught the Socratic method. A sort of, especially for the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. uh, this sort of question and answer. And I think you can do it with the Ten Commandments because this kind of corresponds with uh, Plato's um, teaching on innate ideas. So could you give the, the listener just a kind of a brief explanation of the Socratic method? So a Socratic method is, is where you have a teacher and a student, and the teacher asks a lot of questions, and the student answers them. And then the teacher goes back and uh, begins to correct uh, what might be lacking in the definition. Mm-hmm. We see this in Plato's dialogues a lot. Um, questions like, what is justice? Or what is knowledge? Or um, what, uh, you know, what kind of, you know, what does a good government look like? Mm-hmm. And so this sort of question and answer thing, it's very difficult. And you have to be very good at it. And Socrates was one of the best. Um, but I do think that because, you know, and this is where epistemology how do we know things? And pedagogy, how do we impart that knowledge? Mm-hmm. They, are, they, are, they, are, they are tied. What you believe, how we know something, then influences how you teach something. And so this is why I think that uh, teaching the law of God, the Socratic method, is a very good way of teaching. Why? Well, because the law is like an innate idea in our hearts, right? I, I do. I do some, some of that kind of thing in confirmation by— uh where I'll do play devil's advocate and I'll say, convince me I'm wrong. Let's say I'm a hardcore evolutionist or something. Mm-hmm. And and I try and argue with them so that they can defend themselves. Right. And things like ad hominems, you know, like where you're attacking the person. Mm-hmm. Or the fallacy of equivocation, where you are equivoc- equivocating two things that shouldn't be. Or mistaking um, correlation and causation. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all things we have to know in order to... Um, critical thinking. Yes, but it's critical thinking that is always subject to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that that's the main point. 
And this is why actually Valentine uh, Leisure, he has a whole book where he critiques a lot of these 18th century philosophers. And honestly, that book probably should be translated as a way to engage uh, not only pastors, but also laity, because we are, you know, we, I mean, we've always lived in an anti-Christian world, but um, always, right? Even though it had the veneer of Christianity on it, about right, some but, sort of a Christian but, culture. But, but we're going to have to, you're going to be challenged. You are. But the, that's the kind of the beauty of the timing of of when Jesus came, is he came and then all those things were wind, wound up being used for the sake of the gospel. Right. So, I mean, Paul. Paul uses arguments all the time. Mm-hmm. Jesus uses arguments all the time. And those aren't the only ways to teach. Um, there are a lot of different ways to teach. We can teach in song. I mean, that's what the Reformation was known for, for their beautiful mm-hmm. hymns. Um, the Psalms are the same way. Uh, Proverbs, these little gnomic uh, aphoristic statements, mm-hmm. uh, that's another different way to teach. The thing is, is that we don't have to just sit there and lecture all the time. Because that is a frustrating thing, especially when you're dealing with youth, is is not to get beyond the, well, this is the right answer. Like, what do you—because th- confirmation isn't just, you know the facts. Right. It's taking them to heart, believing them. Well, and this is the limits of pedagogy, too, because we can give all the right information. We can give all of this stuff— but that doesn't mean that faith is created. Right. The, the devil can pass a confirmation exam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he knows it, right? And uh, so that's the thing, is that we, I think we have to also recognize the limits of our pedagogy. We should do the best that we can, because that and, is actually in our control. And where, where those limits fail, that's when things like the Lord's Supper, baptism, absolution come into play. Yeah, I mean, if but if because, they don't believe it, that's right, the thing. You uh, know? Because of sustaining faith, hearing the word. It's kind of like uh, um, when you talk about uh, the inerrancy of Scripture or the historical nature of Scripture. If people are wondering, is the Bible true or not? The, the best way to, to figure that out is to read the Bible more. Right. The more you study the Scripture, the more you realize the connections that are found in Scripture, and the, the more it speaks for itself in truth. Right. Or, you know, if you have a question about, you know, the dating of when Jesus rose from the dead, mm-hmm. right? That, uh, you know, was he, did, did he, you know, did he rise on Sunday? Did he die on Friday? Right? And people will say, well, you know, he says that he spends three days and <clears throat> three days and right. three nights in the, hearts of the, in the heart of the earth. Right, and so just to figure all that out, and to figure out modes of speech and all this kind of stuff. I mean, right. so I mean, because because people are easily misled with just those simple yeah, things. Yeah, I know a pastor who has a parishioner who is just he's nuts on this. He thinks Jesus was ra- was uh, was crucified on like Thursday, mm. and he can't be convinced. So you know. So this is where some of these things, you know... Or flat earth. Yeah, or flat earth, or geocentric, or geocentric, uh, you know. Hey, we should talk about the text. Hang on, I've got the perfect segue. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, all of you pastors still writing your sermon, uh, don't worry, you're not alone. Bull Higgins working on his too. Uh, But we haven't forgot about you here. Vicar, uh, what's the text for this week? 
So text for uh, Third Sunday at Trinity will, will be uh, Luke 15. We've got a couple options. Uh, so here we're doing Luke 15, 11 to 32. All right. So the very, very well-known parable of the prodigal son. All right, here we go. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ah. So, Berg, I, I, uh, the, the, the prodigal son, I uh, f- f- toss that theory over to Vicar, the one that drives you crazy. Yep. <laughs> that uh-huh. theory being? Vicar, you've been wrestling with it. I've been, re- I've been wrestling with it because it's very interesting. It's not a direction I go with the sermon, but that's not right. the point. Um, I, I so have, the, okay. The question, the question with a parable is, is oftentimes one of them is, where is Jesus in the parable? And the theory is he is the prodigal son who takes the inheritance, spends it frivolously among the sinners, feeds the Gentiles, which is the pigs, and then comes back home and is given a robe and a celebration. Right. And uh, so that that was kind of a discussion, and I, I no one, I'm not com- fully, completely a whole hog on that. I want to say that. It's an interesting perspective, that's for sure. Right. So uh, the whole idea, the reason why I, I I was looking at it from that direction a few years ago is the fact that, well, one is the whole chapter starts off with uh, the, what's the big accusation that is made? Yeah, the, the Pharisees and scribes grumbling saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Right. Um, and the fact that uh, in, the, in the parable that uh, Jesus... Um, or the the lost son, the great accusation is that he spent and wasted inheritance with prostitutes. And that's what kind of got me thinking about that a little bit, is the parable, is it disparaging those whom Jesus is associating with? But, Berg, what do you think, what's going through your head right now about this interpretation? Because there's a lot of things I could say about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, chapter 15, uh, it connects with Trinity 2's lesson in that uh, Jesus, you know, the, the in that parable, the parable of the Great Supper, that uh, um, the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind are brought in, mm-hmm. right? And the, this here represents the tax collectors and the sinners, mm-hmm. right? The people who could never pay him back. Right. Okay? <clears throat> So that's the—and now we have the grumbling of the Pharisees and uh, the scribes that, hey, you're supposed to be holy. You're eating with the, with these unholy people. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Right. Uh, and so he tells a couple parables. He tells the parable of the uh, lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, mm-hmm. which are really positive parables. Right. Um, that, uh, you know, and really they're they're meant to say, hey, look— Rejoice with me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, these sinners have repented. Right. Right, and have been brought back. I think the parable of the prodigal son is really a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees because it says here, he told these things to them. So he told them, that is the Pharisees and the scribes, <clears throat> these parables, right? Mm-hmm. The first two are about the gospel. Mm-hmm. And the second one is not so much the gospel, right? It is for the prodigal son, whom we all focus on, right? Mm-hmm. But really, if we're looking at who is Jesus telling this parable about? Right. Or two. He's telling to... it to the Pharisees and the scribes. 
who are they? They're the older brother. Right. Right? And they, they're the ones who are mad, who are standing outside when everybody else is partying. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a warning to them. It's a deep, deep warning to them to uh, not not to trust in your work's righteousness, mm-hmm. to be, you know, to have pity on your brother, mm-hmm. right, who has repented. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, because when he is angry, you know, who is the older brother really angry at? The, the master, or the father. The father, right? right? He's not mad at his brother, even though it seems like he's mad at his brother. He's mad at God, right? And that's what the Pharisees and the scribes are. They're mad at God that he would be gracious, to these undeserving wretches. Mm-hmm. He is mad, right? Mm-hmm. Just like the prophet Jonah. Right. It's just like the prophet Jonah, where uh, Jonah's like, he gets he gets mad, and he's like, you know what, God, I knew you were going to be merciful. I knew you were going to save these people, mm-hmm. these people who are my enemies, these people who have killed my people. But weren't they also offended that Jesus, in a sense, was guilty by associating with those people, too? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, you know, the association, um, you know, because what the word Pharisee means is separated. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, the Bible does tell us to separate from unrepentant sinners. Mm -hmm. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think. Right. Right? Um, we see it in excommunication, for example. Mm-hmm. What's the difference, though, between these sinners and tax collectors and... Repentance. Repentance, right? right? They came to hear Jesus, they repented of their sins, and like the Bible says, they enter the kingdom of heaven before the Pharisees and the right. scribes do, mm-hmm. right? And so that's the thing. See, and this is another thing that just makes me super angry, Okay. Because there are some Lutherans out there, ELCA, <clears throat> who teach in their dogmatics classes that uh, I love it when you speak off the collar. Yeah, right. <laughs> so what hap- You know what they teach is that oh well, the words of institution didn't really happen. So what do we base the Lord's Supper on? The word. No, we base I it mean, off of these these table narratives, right? right? That that Jesus ate and drank with sinners and tax collectors. Well, if he did that, then we should just invite everybody up, right? Because right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just as, just as Jesus sat and ate with sinners and tax collectors, so so should we invite anybody, even the unbaptized, to our communion rail. This is how they justify their open communion. Right. Well, how do you, uh, how do you marriage that, though, with 1 Corinthians chapter 11? Well, Paul was just, you know, really mean. <laughs> and what that's really talking about, and see, this is the way they get around it, especially even with infant communion, is they say, well, discerning the body there is not the body of Christ. not the body of Christ in the sacrament, the body, but it's the church, yeah. right? So that is that is where they will go with it, right? But what about examining yourself? Here's the th- here's the thing when you kind of talk about examining mm-hmm. yourself is, and I, I'm, I've probably mentioned this before in the podcast. You know, even when I was first a pastor 20-some years ago, there actually was a reasonable idea that some of the members of those churches were properly taught the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So they probably could, to a certain degree, examine them. Not that they 
would let them come to the Lord's Supper. But at least you could, when you talked about the Ten Commandments and examining yourself, that wouldn't be completely foreign. Mm-hmm. Now, if someone comes now from those places, is there any way, any assurance that we know that they've been properly taught the Ten Commandments? But, I mean, so here's another behind-the-collar moment. How many of your own members actually examine themselves beforehand? Right. That, I, mean, I mean, really, I think, I think that is an interesting question. I actually have a, uh, a in mentally, I have a couple of uh, bench press parables running through my head. Uh-huh. Okay. One is uh, I want to do one on pre-workout. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, you know, uh, pre-workout is a, a, something you take to, to to get you more energized and just get your body ready to, I don't really use them that much, but to get your body ready. They're loaded with caffeine so that once you hit the gym, you hit the gym running. Right. Right? Uh, but that concept a pre-workout before you get to work out is something that we should consider with the Lord's Supper of examining yourself, right. preparing your heart and mind and repentance for the reception of the Lord's Supper. Because this is one thing that Sasa brings up too. And don't get me wrong, I love every Sunday communion. You know, I wish we had it at our parish. Um, I'm glad you guys have moved there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's awesome. Thanks be to God. The one temptation with every Sunday communion, though, is that there is a lack of preparation. Right. And that, you know, what does preparation look like? And that, that was, one, I, th- I think, one of the reasons why when like, people say, well, you know, 100 years ago, we only had communion quarterly. Yeah. It was because the idea of preparation. Which was, I think, overemphasized, but now we've almost swung to the other side. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, if we had, like, I know Pastor Knox in uh, Cedar Rapids, well, not Cedar Rapids, Cedar Falls, mm-hmm. he uh, actually only has private absolution. I don't think he has corporate absolution in his services. And so he gets to talk with his members on a very regular basis about what they actually do believe, how they are sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I've been thinking about this for a long time because ever since the beginning of my ministry, I hear things like, well, you know, we're all sinners, right? And they kind of use the general confession as a way to just be kind of a general sinner. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes an excuse to not actually examine yourself and not actually stop doing the things that you know are sin. Because, oh, well, everybody sins. (laughs) No, come on. That's just a cop-out. Because you wind up justifying... Your how your sins by comparison of others when you should be comparing your sins in comparison to the perfect law of God. Exactly, and so this is why, like, and and frankly, I I've always been afraid to do this, and uh, this is why we've actually started reciting the Ten Commandments before we uh, confess our sins in Divine Service Setting Three, because I mean, honestly. If you don't know the Ten Commandments by heart, you probably shouldn't be taking the Lord's Supper. Right. Because how can you examine yourself according to God's law if you don't know the Ten Commandments? So you've actually started doing that then? Yeah, I've actually started. So we recite the Ten Commandments, uh, and then we have a moment of silence for reflection on God's Word Mm -hmm. and for self-examination, because I don't think many people actually know what Word of God is talked about there. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how do you know you're a sinner? 
from the Ten Commandments I have not kept. Well, okay. So, I mean, I, I do think that uh, there's got to be a way that we do these things, that we bring up these catechetical things that they learn in confirmation, which it, which is not just a knowledge dump, but is actually an attitude, a mindset, uh, a way of looking at at your life, a way, a habitus, a, mm-hmm. uh, a habit of praying, a habit of examining, and we just haven't inculcated this habit. And there is there is a kind of a movement in the Missouri Synod where, um, with an, what I would call an overemphasis on the two kinds of righteousness. Is that even still a thing anymore? Do you hear about that anymore? I still hear about it. We heard about some of it at the last pastor's conference. Oh, yeah. I went to a better conference. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> yes. You have higher standards. Well, no, I didn't think we were even having a conference okay. this year. So um, just in case any district presidents are listening. Where where, where it has been explained. I am actually a, I am actually a team player. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. He is a team player, Brian. <laughs> Anyways. Um, where they they talk about the law gospel paradigm is kind of being insufficient because um, uh, there are, there's a, uh, a a righteousness as a neighbor that's outside of all those things that is kind of overarching, and rather than being being nervous about preaching the third use of the law, you know, because the law only kills, it doesn't really instruct where you need the other kind of righteous to instruct to be citizens. That is such bunk. That is an inbred, stupid misapplication of what law and gospel actually is. And this is why everyone should read Dr. Ben Mays' article on um, the applications of Scripture, which we learned from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, right? Everyone always stops like with the verbal inspiration one, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God, right? Mm-hmm. But that's where we stop. But what is it useful for? It's useful for doctrine, which is law and gospel. It's useful for reproof, which is like actually correcting the the, mm-hmm. the terrible things that you believe. It's for correction. The the um, it's for fixing those things that are wrong in your life. It's for training in righteousness, which mm-hmm. is this love toward the neighbor. It's for comfort. You see, Lutherans have never taught this sort of dumb, simplistic law gospel. Oh. I got stabbed by the law, but the gospel makes me feel better. Hooray. No, that's not how this goes. This is not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the catechism teaches. When the catechism teaches about baptism, the old Adam, along with its sinful desires, are drowned. That is, not only in the process of examining yourself and recognizing your sin— you're also then growing to say, I don't want to do that anymore. See, and, and this is why I am fully convinced that Walther's Law and Gospel should not be used as a homiletics book. It should not. It should be used as a pastoral theology book. But it is not. it was not written as a homiletics book. We have had so many homiletics books that have simply not been translated into English. Like Reinhold Pieper which uh, uh, Dr. Kuntz gave a presentation on uh, and uh, uh, actually submitted a paper for in, what was it, a couple Lutheran quarterlies ago. Mm-hmm. Um, our preaching was much better than what it was. Much better, because it wasn't so simplistic. Because the law doesn't just kill. 
It instructs, yeah. Yeah, it instructs. It does. And, and <laughs> you know, in a lot of Lutheran preaching, that's been missing. Yeah, I mean... Law bad, gospel good. Mm. Well, yeah, of course nobody's <laughs> going to come back to church when you preach like that. I mean, that is that is so silly. Now, if, if you think that uh, I've we've somehow misrepresented that, feel free to let us know. How can they get a hold of us, Vicar? Well, they could email us, feedback at clericalerrors.org. Uh, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash clericalerrorspodcast, and on Twitter at clericalerrorsp. I always like getting the angry bird. Makes for a good show. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah. There are just so many resources out there that, and then people try to reinvent the wheel, and their wheel is like a square wheel. When we've already, when we've had like white walled tires from the 19th century. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still in living. I mean, come on. Like, I, yeah. It just shows how much you can lose in a generation. All right. Time for Bull Higgins Book Club. Peter, play the intro. It's book time with Bull Higgins. That's right. (laughs) All right. I am on chapter seven of the book. Uh, I can remember the title. Peter has to pop up the title to remind me what I'm reading. Uh, what are the odds from crack addict to CEO? So I am through chapter seven. Um, you know what's funny about that title? Is we've talked about in the past how he had a gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. So he probably actually knew what the odds were. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. bad joke. Anyways. This time he bet he, on himself, Berg. Yes, he bet on himself. Um, in chapter seven... Uh, so Karen just ghosted him. He went back to his high school reunion, and he felt terrible about his life. So what? if you're in that situation, what do you do, Vicar? What would you do? Probably not medicate with the copious amounts of cocaine. Okay. Did you guess, get a prostitute? Um, no, we don't call them that. We call them... Strumpets. <laughs> <laughs> no, last episode. Acquire a strumpet? Well, it was, remember, it was uh, <laughs> not... Uh, what was the title of last not episode? Div- yeah, it was uh, a strumpocracy was the first, was the last, was this last word. Uh, noctivus uh, strump, yeah, noctivus strumpocracy. It's the rule go. of strumpets who are night wanderers. Okay. Anyway, so what does he so, do? So what he does is he give, he said, I'm going back to Vegas. Okay. Because that's the best place for gambling addicts to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, so on the way, he makes a little stop. He's in Colorado, tries to call Karen. And Karen's mom answered the and phone. And Karen's being a Karen. Mm-hmm. And so, but there's something kind of pivotal that happens. Of course, he uh, when he gets to Vegas, he loses more money, right? And uh Using a lot of well, co- didn't he also have more jobs? So he should have had more money, right? Yeah, at this point, because of the cocaine. Yeah, uh, Vicar, I don't want to make want listeners thinking it's okay to do cocaine. So, no, it's not. So, Vicar, don't do that. No. All right. And uh, when there's a pivotal moment, okay, and I think this will really hit home with Uberg. Okay, go on. Uh, he uh, hears on the radio. An Elvis song. I've got confidence. I got confidence. I don't know if you, 
I don't know the words to that song. Uh, Peter, can you fire up the words? Elvis, I Got Confidence. Because I don't know this song. Do you, Anybody? All I've got is that Demi Lovato song going through my head. <laughs> What's wrong with me? So the, the words are, this is what he was listening to his car. When trouble's on my way, I can't tell night from day. I toss from side to side. Lost a ship on a raging tide. I don't worry, I don't fret. Uh, trouble's coming from time to... Oh, God has never failed me. Trouble's coming from time to time, but that's all right. I'm not the worrying kind. Because I've got confidence God is going to see me through. No matter what the case may be, I know he's going to fix me. I got confidence God's going to see me through. No matter what's the case case may be, I know he's going to fix me. So uh, that song actually hit home with him. He drove back to Minnesota. He declares, I am a Christian. And then he does a bunch of more cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Ba- ba- baby step. <laughs> so, of all the Elvis songs he could have picked to listen to to become a Christian, he picked late Elvis as opposed to his time singing gospel. Hey, let's talk about it. how well did that work out for Elvis, by the way? I don't remember how did he die. Barbiturates, I think. Okay. Did he die on the toilet? I th- no, I'm not sure. Do you know? I don't believe that. I don't believe that's how that went. I well, I mean, if it wasn't the drugs, the, the sandwiches would have got him. Yeah, the uh, um, must uh, the peanut butter and mayonnaise, banana. Yeah, peanut butter and banana fried. Deep, yeah, sand- deep fried. Yeah. <laughs> I think they actually have that at Zombie Burger. Do they? Yeah, they actually have a a takeoff of Elvis's. You know, hmm. so that that's what's going. On. Any any reactions? So, so so then it ends with him doing a bunch of cocaine. Right. <laughs> okay. Well. I mean, he's working his way. It's there's a change, right? Yeah, you could tell yep, that there's. That's, that's I mean, good. he did leave Vegas, decided to go back home, right? But you know that cocaine thing—that's pretty. That's, that's pretty, a pretty tough one to beat, right? Right. Um, but you know, it's a maybe it's a lesson on humidity. Yeah, I mean, it just shows that God can uh, use anything to. And, and and I kind of feel convicted now of my workout music because here I could have, you know. When I'm working out, there could have been someone on cocaine there in the gym. Well, you know, you, that, you you could have just played The Beast and the Harlot by Avenged Sevenfold. Okay. so I prefer not to call them harlots. Strumpets. <laughs> Ladies of the night. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but uh, maybe I should uh, play more Elvis in case someone's in that situation. Mm-hmm. And then I can be a witness to them, Berg. There you go. You're awfully quiet there, Vicar. Just depends on which version of Elvis you prefer. Oh. Yeah. Most people prefer the young Elvis, don't they? Yeah, I was going to say, are we, talking about, are we talking before the rhinestones or after? See, I mean, since we're talking about Elvis, best movie ever, well, not the best, but close, Bubba Hotep. It's about an aging Elvis in a North Texas uh, retirement home. He gets together with a uh, black Jack Kennedy to fight a mummy, who's sucking the souls out of old people at a retirement home. Is it, is it based on a true story? Yes. Wow. So. Who, play, who played Elvis? Elvis. Bruce Campbell. I was, I was really hoping you'd say that. Yep, Bruce Campbell. It is. It's like, this, this, is, this is a B-movie. Oh, it's it got, is. It's got to have him. Yes, it, he is the king of B-movies. Actually, actually, your next book that you should read is If Chins Could Kill. Oh. 
Yeah. Have, have, has anybody, have you ever read, I hear a lot of people read, hearing about people reading the Jordan Peterson book. Do you know anything about that? I, I don't know. I am, I don't like trends. So I like, if, if everyone starts mentioning the same name, mm-hmm. I, I actually go out of my way to avoid reading anything by them. Okay. Just because I like to be contrarian like that. Not, not surprised. So <laughs> it has been entertaining watching him though. Yeah, he is. Uh, Regardless of yeah. anything else, like the, when when they made him made you know compared him with a Marvel villain, and he kind of just embraced it. Yeah, that I was, mean that was hilarious. Yeah, Peter, do the kids talk much about Jordan Peterson? Who? There you go. <laughs> that answers the question. What is he? He wrote the twelve. Yeah, I I think he's probably a noble pagan. Everybody likes him because he uses Christianity to like prop up our dying culture, which, I mean, he makes the point that our culture cannot exist without Christianity, and he's right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know if there's any faith there. I, th- you know? I don't know. I think he makes enough statements that give the impression, but then... I don't know. He's kind of like Schleiermacher. You know, his whole deal was about, you know, he wrote his whole book uh, against the cultural despisers, mm-hmm. where Christianity is for culture... And, you know, that's the value. See, he uses Christianity because it's useful to him. See, I would like, I, I think it would be interesting. I think the listener would be interested if you you take one for the team and you do, a, like, a review of that. <sighs> do I have to? Make Vicar do it. It's not like he's got anything else to do. Peter, you <laughs> want to do that? Uh, No. You're busy? I mean, I'll admit, I've, I've considered it because some of the stuff, it's like, this is interesting. I'm curious where you're going with this and he's had a few statements where it sounds like he's leaning towards looking at christianity and switching sides but i mean i'm already doing a book <laughs> right i don't know if it's quite as popular hey i brought out strumpocracy for you guys so yeah. i mean no but just think you know how we work out the show like live yeah a little bit of this but just think if we could put jordan peterson in the description Mm-hmm. Instant listeners. Can we just get off the fact that Berg just said, I brought you guys strumpocracy? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for a little bit. Do we thank, wa- thank you, Peter. Do we want to go? It. Do we want to go there? So um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it and see if, you know. Okay, Vicar's kind of interested. He kind of wants to do it now. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Now we have news at Bothersburg. Peter, play the intro. There's fake news. There's real news. Then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg. Yes. So, uh, listener, we had a news that bothers Berg. Bothered us too much. We're moving on. (laughs) You want to know what it was? Sorry. If you email us at feedback at... Behind the collar, off the collar, off the collar podcast.com. We will get happily to get a hold of you. All right. Do you have a new article? Now, this isn't an article. This was just a post on Reddit that I found. Uh, that's ca- a pastor messing with his, not messing with, changing his uh, church's uh, front sign. You know how you, you've got the, the, you can change it with the, the sign says. Uh, right. So he has many different uh, 
signs. One of them. Signs. Okay, so some of the signs, uh, Berg, is God loves you the way she made you. Any feelings on that sign? Well, I don't know what God he's talking about, but uh, obviously it's not the true God. Okay. King Herod separated children from parents. Matthew chapter 2 says that's bad. Oh, so uh, that, that's an anti-abortion sign. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> Backfire! Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one says, our transgender siblings have heartbeats. See, this is, uh, this is the fallacy of equivocation, right? Because he's trying to compare it to abortion. And, uh, you know, that they should live. And it's like, no, this, like, it's, this isn't about living. No one is killing transgender people. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is we're saying that they're crazy. I would say, I would not say crazy. I would say confused. Crazy. <laughs> they are crazy. They are crazy. E- when you, way, when you deny them. basic biology, you are crazy. Okay. When you deny reality, what is denying reality but being crazy? Mm-hmm. Seriously. I mean, let's just call a thing what it is. Harriet Tubman deserves to be on the $20 bill and white supremacy. I mean, I'm okay with taking Jackson off the money because Jackson was a terrible president, but let's just take all the presidents off the money. The Quran, God is the most merciful and compassionate. We agree. See, once again, here, you know, there are just so many fallacies here that, uh, you know, he doesn't really quote the Bible. N- no. No. It's funny he quotes the Quran. In the realm of God, no one is illegal. Uh, the law would beg to differ. Oh, so you're, the fourth commandment is a thing? Yeah, exactly. See, and what does it mean? It's all, it is super vague, so you can, you know, read into it whatever you want. Right. But they're, yeah, they're, uh... Uh, Bumper stickle level theology. I bet his sermons are great. And the thing is, these silly things can be convincing to some people who, I think, who haven't got past the grammar stage. Yep, exactly. I mean, this, this is, like... That's the one that bothers me the most. Yeah. Yeah, the Quran. Yeah. But then, you know, he's United Church of Christ. So... Which can be a, a huge mixed bag within there. I mean, it's the a huge tent. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I mean, it's it shouldn't be surprising because, you know. And it, this was probably on one of the coasts. I'm guessing. But yeah, it's funny how the only scripture he quotes on there is the Quran. Well, he says he does quote. <laughs> he referenced Matthew too. Matthew yeah, he, too. He yeah, he referenced it. But yeah, he referenced it. But yeah, what looks like a quote is from pagan literature. And he obviously hasn't read Matthew two in a long time because. Uh, because what he's trying to do is make this comparison between what happens in Matthew 2 with uh, separating illegal parents from illegal children. And he, and he is... Uh, and let's face it, no one is getting killed in that scenario. It does say that, you know, he's pastor uh, in Milwaukee, Oregon. Oh. Yeah. I'm running out of Gasberg, Oregon. <laughs> it just makes me sad. Let's, what else you got for us, Peter? Yeah, well, yeah. One question for us. Yeah, I got a question for you. All right, this was a uh, user on the LCMS subreddit. Uh, 
a while ago. This is a little old. Um, they posted, uh, can't join co- congregation due to views on creation. So I'm pretty sad tonight, not going to lie. I was at an LCMS congregation for a couple of weeks and really enjoying myself. The pastor gave me a hymnal and a book of Concord, which I've been reading diligently. I even shelled out $50 for a Lutheran study Bible from Concordia. I spoke with the pastor tonight about my views on creation and if that would be a problem, as that is really the only thing I disagree with. Evidently, it will be, which has really turned my world upside down in the matter of a few minutes. I thought I had found my spiritual home where I can spend my life of faith and worship Christ in a way that I believe is true. Basically, I am a theistic evolutionist. I know that the LCMS affirms a six-day YEC viewpoint, but I didn't think it would be a problem for a member of the laity to interpret scripture in a different way on something so seemingly inconsequential. I don't want to debate creation, I just want to find a church to call home. I came home and pretty much just sat in my room and cried. What should I do now? I don't want to blame the pastor as it is his congregation. I don't want to join the Anglican Church or any other Lutheran denominational bodies because he said they basically worship the devil. I'm so lost. What should I do? All right. So I will say a couple of things. Okay. First thing I will say is, um, and, I, and I've actually used this, this way of, of reasoning with someone who, who would say, I struggle with, I agree with... The, the Lutheran your Lutheran Church with everything, except the close communion, and they'll say I admire how your stance on this, this, and this, and this, right? Mm-hmm. What I tell them is the very reasons that you admire this con- the Lutheran Church, this congregation, and what we teach, believe, confess is exactly why we hold to close communion, mm-hmm. and so, and so. Um, there, that's why, in a sense, it kind of comes as a a group thing. If if we said that didn't matter, there would be effects in all the other teachings that we have, and so all the things that the, this person admires about the the Missouri City Congregation, um, all falls in line with understanding how God created the world, and so you take that away, for example, uh, and you say that. Uh, um, you know, uh, that, uh, God created it a different way. Well, when, when does death enter the picture? When does, you know, it go from having an animal that's almost human to a human that has a soul? How do you explain the old Adam and the descent into sin? You know, you, you start changing this and the whole house of cards kinds of falls. So, the first thing I would say is I would tell this person the same very reason that you love the church and the same type of reasons that you hold to that is the same reason why you should reconsider because it all falls in line with the same thing. Another thing I would say is is uh, we've talked a lot about here of of how the Holy Scripture changes, how you should be open to the Word of God changing you. And it sounds like you're not willing to do that. What are your thoughts, Berg? Yeah, I mean, pastorally, I would say, yeah, keep attending. You just can't join or take communion yet. And hopefully and hopefully, they will be convinced. I mean, I've had members uh, who are members now 
where it's been years before they they joined the congregation because they wanted to make sure that you know they were in agreement mm-hmm. with what we believe taught and confessed and so and, and i the, you know and so i you know i would say keep attending there that, that's just, the the biggest know. thing is to keep con- attending right because because that's that's ultimately what changes you and also um the fact that there's a difference between outright rejecting it and struggling with it. Right. And obviously, a good por- this, this person is not in the... And I can understand not wanting to start a debate on creation on something like this, on a, what is this, Reddit? Yeah. Yep. Um, I understand that, you know, because, right. you know, there are a lot of trolls out there. Um, I feel, you know, I feel bad for this person, uh, you know, but they need to keep attending. They need to be open to the Word of God. Um, I, I am I am interested though in that last statement, where they don't want to join an Anglican body or other Lutheran denominations because he said they basically worship the devil. I'm that to me that seems like a very right. Uh, so I wonder what kind he's, of so fil- he's basically this person is willing to accept that uh, these other places worship the devil. He's not willing to accept any idea of creation. Well, and I am I would be surprised if the pastor if said that. If the LCMS pastor said that. And so it's I'm that would really surprise me. So I wonder okay, if this is, you know, what kind of filters is this person using to hear these things? And I think that's probably the first thing that needs to be worked on. Right. Because uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and and I would say and, and, one, and once again, it's not in. It's not. It's not inconsequential, right? I mean, this person thinks that they said. Uh, I know that the LCMS affirms six-day young Earth creation viewpoint, but I didn't think it would be a problem for a member of the lady to interpret scripture in a different way on something so seemingly inconsequential. And that's that's the problem: is no part of scripture is inconsequential. Mm-hmm. It isn't. Um, and this is. This seed of indifferentism is very, very pernicious. And this person might not see it in his or her own life, but you look at what it happens, what happens in generations, right? It starts with, oh, creation is inconsequential. This is inconsequential. That's inconsequential. Finally, it's all inconsequential. Right. And so that's, but I I they really do think like if I were to pull my congregation, you know, at least I appreciate that he's being honest. Yeah, uh, I don't know if this is a male or female. So right. I, uh, so I mean, you know, I I'm glad he's being on he or she is being honest. I guess I would encourage them to continue to go to church mm-hmm. there. But uh, but just just even doing the the idea of the the of of saying, I struggle with it, you know? Uh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Right, you know. Is is different than no. Right, and I don't know if this person is in that place or not. I mean, so I, I hope so. Right, you know? and I, I think I think from what way it reads is this is someone who just needs a little more time to, to hear it and think about it. Right. 
So you know, he's just getting into it. He's just getting because the more you study the Book of Concord, the more you you look at the well, hymns, and the more you the more you'll realize how important those things are. Well, you brought up the theological issues because mm-hmm. there are some really big theological issues that are tied up with creation. And so you know, I hope that uh, I, I I do hope that this person will continue to attend the church with mm-hmm. this LCMS pastor. Um, I hope they'll be open to it because I think in this culture we want everything to be boom, 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 you know, really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And these things take time. Right. So, oh, Peter just highlighted something. <laughs> it just makes me so sad. I just... Uh, yeah, that's a misunderstanding. That That is... Is that uh, uh, not getting beyond the grammar education at work? See, exactly. And it's not just getting beyond the grammar, but it's like you, using using just this, using it in order to do a runaround. Uh, Peter, can you read the quote there for us? Yeah, yeah. One of the commenters on this post said, uh, as far as I understand, LCMS only requires adherence to the small catechism as a requirement for membership. That is only the small catechism, not the Q&A part tacked on at the end in Concordia Publications. See, and this is what they'll do, because the small catechism wasn't—it <laughs> is what you need to know. It, it is what is necessary for every Christian to know, but it's not exhaustive. Right. And if you believe that God's Word actually says what it believes, yeah, or what it teaches, right? I believe that God— Created me and all creatures, but, you know, and that's the thing is, okay, where do you go? You go back to Genesis 1. And then we have to talk about, well, is Genesis 1 poetry or is it history? Mm-hmm. And it is history. It is history. So it's a. It's not just about creation. It is an argument also on the word of God. Whether it is right, and it it also is hermeneutical in that it. Okay, how do I interpret the word of God? Do I interpret the word of God through uh, the recent scientific discoveries, mm-hmm. which are always changing and provisional? Well, then guess what? That makes the scriptures even more provisional. Right. So. There are really just a lot of things here that... Another comment we spoke yeah, once sorry, about. The, the original poster also said, uh, in, in reply to one of these comments, uh, we spoke, uh, referring to his pastor, we spoke once about Episcopal churches and ELCA, which he said were Satan worshipers in not so many words. I disagreed, but thought he was just being hyperbolic. He clearly said that it would be an issue in my confirmation and that the congregation should confess the same things along with some other things. Okay, so what what sticks out to me in this is uh, in not so many words. Yeah, what did he actually say? That happened. That A lot of times pastors' words are condensed, taken out of context. That happens a lot. Well, and the thing is, is that the ELCA and the Episcopal Church teach many, many false things. It, it, so many many false things. So, for example, in our Lutheran confessions, he has the Book of Concord. What do the Lutheran confessions call the Pope? They call him the Antichrist, right? Which people think is mean or short-sighted, right? Or You're calling all Catholics Satan worshippers, right? Is that what it's doing? No, no. So, could it be a discussion of the Antichrist? Misunderstood as oh, they're worshiping the you devil. You mean like we can actually have misunderstandings? Yeah. Like oh, we have to listen carefully mm-hmm. to our pastors. Mm-hmm. What? 
No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that can happen. All right. Let's end on a happy note. Okay. So, Peter, say something awesome. <laughs> Just remember not to go to offthecollarpodcast.com. <laughs> yes, that does make everything better. Or email feedback at offthecollarpodcast.com. Don't do that. So, I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. I'm Vicar. May your Vickers be talkative. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Airs. See you next time.